Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. In the summer of 2020, we took an episode off in early July, but now we're back, and I'm here with Stacy. Hi. And our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Good Doug. morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. How, how are things up in the Mono Basin? Warm. Definitely <laughs> warm, but, but beautiful, too. Definitely, Definitely a good time of year. It is definitely summertime. It's it, Things have warmed up considerably in the eastern Sierra, and that's great because then we get out and about. So, um, Stacy, what have you been up to? We have been getting out there on the hiking trails quite a bit, especially with our get, getting some energy out of our new puppy, um, <laughs> taking, taking her with us to explore what's out there, even in the heat. Does, um, she, does she enjoy it? She does at the beginning, like the first, the you know, for the first hour, maybe first two hours, she's all gung-ho. And then after a while, she kind of starts looking at us like, really, we're going to keep, <laughs> we're, we're going to keep going. She's a big, you know, she's a big, uh, she's big dog. She, you know, she's over 70 pounds. She's got a lot of uh, dark colored fur and she gets hot pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah, be yeah. mindful of, of that. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Our last big hike, we went from the Hilton lakes trailhead in Crowley, which is not too far from our house. And we hiked up to Davis Lake, which is about a 2000 foot elevation gain. Right. And Davis Lake is kind of tucked back in there. It's about another another half hour, 45 minute hike to get into the Hilton Lakes. Um, but Davis Lake, it's a, it's a big lake. It's really beautiful. It's not very highly trafficked. So um, it, was, it was a beautiful day. We got, found a big rock that kind of stuck out in the middle of the water and just kind of plopped down there. And Did you out. fish? We did not fish. Um, we didn't bring, we, we weren't terribly organized about what we put in our backpacks and what we grabbed. To, it was kind of a last minute thing. And, um, but that's one, that's one of the aspects of living so close to trailheads is you're just like, Oh, spur of the moment. Let's go. Totally. Yeah. And, and I'm never a good packer of, you know, for trips like this anyways, you know, I, I tend to forget be pretty forgetful and be pretty haphazard about uh, what I take with. And I shouldn't be at this point, you know, all these years of hiking, I should be better at it, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> you know, so we, we just, we took some snacks and water, you know, a bunch of water and sunscreen, which was good. And yeah, it was, it was a beautiful day. And, um, if you, if you listeners, if you are on our Instagram account, the pictures that were posted that we posted a couple weeks ago, that was from my hiking trip to Davis Lake and we'll, we'll post some more. So, yeah, it's so beautiful up there and it is, you, you bring up a good point. It's important to, um, be mindful to bring at least enough of the basics so that you're safe when you're up there. So water, sunscreen, because as you've told, you've told me many times, we're that much closer to the sun up here. Yes. Um, and then some munchies, you know, salty munchies, other kind of munchies that can help you um, just keep that energy up and, mm -hmm. and stay safe to get through a high altitude hike. And mosquito repellent sometimes helps. Yes. Yeah. I think, and I think we did, my husband brought mosquito repellent because <laughs> they're, they're huge up here. And <laughs> well, there's nothing worse than getting up to a really beautiful meadow or lake and then suddenly being attacked by mosquitoes and realizing you forgot the spray. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And they, and those, and the mosquitoes can be lethal. I mean, we've had, we've had situations where we've set out you know, with a plan to go for a, you know, good hike and get up pretty, you know, into some altitude and we're chased out by mosquitoes. Yeah. 
that, you're right. So <laughs> this is they're like this. Fun. Is, they have that attitude of like, get off my lawn. This is our place. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is fun. And I, and, and we are so grateful and privileged the three of us to be able to live in an area where we can just kind of leave the house and, you know, Mm -hmm. just even just a before breakfast hike is, is an easy thing for us. So we don't take that for granted. We have been seeing a lot of people up visiting during the summer because it is summertime, a lot of people. And so I think what other kind of message we'd kind of just want to plant in your ear if you're visiting the Eastern Sierra this summer is to remember to recreate responsibly. Um, Be mindful of where you park your vehicle so that you're not damaging the environment. And then as well, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of trash next to full trash receptacles in rest areas and parking lots and what have yeah. you. Yeah. So, if you're going to go up into the, you know, the, on the trails and you're going to be camping or backpacking or whatever, you know, please pack out your trash. Yeah, please, please. We, we don't have people who come around after <laughs> us and clean up. It, it doesn't work that way. So. Well, the, ba- the bears will for sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not all, in the manner we want them to. <laughs> no, we don't need to be training bears to come to more trash cans. But um, beyond that, it is a beautiful summer up here and we yeah. are enjoying it. And I'm so glad we've been able to, to get out. We'll talk about more adventures in upcoming episodes. So um, listeners, take a breath. We'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the book section of our podcast, and today we are talking about Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And we had mentioned this in a previous episode um, of the podcast, and this is a first novel, and it was quite impressive, didn't you think, Christopher? I I totally agree. Um, I've you know, since you mentioned this in the uh, earlier podcast on we were talking about books on racial justice, um, this one piqued my interest. And I was so pleased to pick it up and, and find that it was such a engaging and, and actually kind of quick read. And it is a debut novel. I think it only just came out in January or December right. of last year as well. So it's still fairly new. Yeah, it, it was really entertaining. And I was it was one of those books that when it ended, I was sad that it ended. Because I wanted to see, well, what, where, what's going to happen next with the characters? I really enjoyed the characters. So, yep, I, I agree with you. And you know, you and I chatted before the podcast about how much we would give away. And since it's a new book, we're not yeah. going to give away more than a review has. But this is—I'll just tell everyone up front: this is going to be a great book discussion group because I think everyone reads the end of this book and, and wants to know what next. Yeah. Like, for sure. And, and you know how I am about endings, you know, very picky about the way books end. And this, this, this one just made me kind of hungry for more. So <laughs> Kylie Reed, write a sequel. Um, but to set, to set the book up, um, basically how the book opens is, uh, it, it, Amira is the is a 25 year old African American young woman. She babysits for a well to do white family, and uh, in Philadelphia area, and she is called on uh, late one night when she has been at a friend's birthday party to help in an emergency situation and take the little girl that she babysits for away from the home where something has, has gone wrong. And she takes the little girl to a, uh, an upscale supermarket kind of place. And there she is accused, uh, by the security guard of kidnapping the little girl. And then the, the story unfolds, you know, in, in the aftermath of, of that incident, um, the story unfolds from there. So 
provocative way to start a story. You're immediately drawn in to these characters and to the the injustice of what Amira is has to deal with. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because she's kind of Amira is is none of these characters are one dimensional, despite it being mm-hmm. a kind of brief and easy read. Um, the characters are given many dimensions, and Amira herself. Um, you're right. She's a, she's a 20 something, which is everything that comes with being 20 something. And while you're still trying to find your place in the world, um, and she's a babysitter and she realizes she's a 20 something babysitter and not a 14 year old babysitter. So she's under a little bit of, her friends are getting jobs or getting into relationships and she's still kind of trying to decide what to do, um, you know, here in her Philly neighborhood. Um, but she has a real connection to this kid, Briar, who yes. um, uh, she she feels responsible for over the course of the, the book. And um, so, you know, it is kind of interesting that you know so much about Amira and then this incident happens and all of a sudden, it, you know, the, the way Kylie Reed writes this, this scene is that it could be any number of scenes you see on the news Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, an African-American is is kind of caught out quote unquote in a situation um, that they have to defend themselves out of. And, and, you know, going in um, that she shouldn't have to defend herself. She's, she's, she's there for a very specific reason to take care of, of Briar. And so shortly there, at, well, kind of around that, that, that scene happens very early on in the book. You meet Briar's mother, Alix. Right. Alix, um, right. Yeah. A-L-I-X. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But it's definitely, you're instructed to pronounce it Alix. Yes. Um, which kind of gives a little bit of flavor about what that character is, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, another young mother, uh, uh, who clearly is from a place of privilege. She's white. Um, and she has a babysitter that she can call on and during a difficult situation late at night to come and take her kid while she deals with this situation. Um, and it's, you know, so already at the very beginning of the book, there's kind of this setup of, of, um, you know, a privileged, person Mm -hmm. with with all the power that comes from privilege and a mother um and then this kid and amira right and it's kind of there's a a little bit of a twist too because alix is she has this almost like weird fascination with amira like she 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 wants to be amira's friend almost it's like she's courting her and she cares more about what's going on in Amira's life, you know, at the end of a day than what happened with her daughter during that day. This is true. You know, you're, you're just the way Amira's character is set up to that situation. Elise's character kind of gets set up uh, shortly thereafter by Kylie Reed mm-hmm. in the sense that you learn that Elise, um, is rather new to Philadelphia with her husband and young child. She's left her friends behind in New York city. So she's a little bit alone. Um, and so you understand that Elise is trying to make connections locally. And, you know, so the question in my mind, and this is kind of where the satire begins to come in Mm -hmm. is, is she genuine in wanting to be Amira's friend and her concern for her, or is there something else at play? Right. So I thought that was, that, that was interesting. Yeah, it was, it was quite, I, you know, for a first novel, it it was so impressive the way that Kylie Reed set up and described and intertwined all these characters and the, the pace of the book never lingers. It never slows down. It just, you know, it keeps driving forward and, you know, you really are invested in these characters, you know, by the end of the book and, and especially the way she writes that little Briar character. Oh, totally. And there's another character that's introduced later on. That's kind of becomes the third leg on the stool, uh, a guy named Kelly. Mm -hmm. I won't go too much into that. 
Um, but it really rounds out the story. Yeah. And I think one of the reviews for this book kind of said it's a satire described as the white pursuit of wokeness. It's true. That's a, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Right. Yeah. Um, cause I, you know, let's face it and, and it, me included in the last two months worth of events here in the States, um, which are not new events have been happening for a while, but after George Floyd, so mm-hmm. many people are looking to better understand what white privileges, what privileges, what right. racial justice and racial injustice are and systematic racism and how we feed it. And right. one of the, one of the things that I took away from this read, um, is, you know, I'd also been reading Robin DiAngelo's white fragility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, you know, often white liberal progressives are the hardest group to get to understand that they contribute to systematic racism because they feel woke. They, they, right. they understand what racism is and they're not part of it. Um, and here, Kylie Reed, in a very quick, enjoyable read, yeah. <laughs> satis- satirizes that and has, you know, kind of encapsulated what that, you know, how white progressive liberals react to things mm-hmm. in this, in this novel. And yeah. you, you said early on Stace that, you know, it's not tied up in a bow at the end. You know, there are some questions left. There, yes. are, there are things you want to know more of. Um, and that's kind of why I think it'll be a great book discussion. Yeah. Book. Well, and there's so many love, there's so many entrance points to, to the, to discussing this book, you know, there's the issue of, of racism, there's the issue of privilege, and that's definitely a, a theme, you right. know, going through this book there, you know, there's the issue of, um, relationships between, of, you know, groups of, of friends and relationships between husbands and wives and boyfriends right. and girlfriends, you know, so there's a lot of entrance points to discussion in this book and, you know, that what, what's interesting to me is that I, this book would be a bestseller, great summer read, you know, on every, uh, you know, hot list of books you must read at at any point in time. But the fact that it, that it came out in early 2020 or late 2019 and was getting buzz. And then all of, you know, all of the events of this year with, the George Floyd situation and all the others happened. It just even elevated it. I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's a very approachable book. Um, Yeah. You know, entrance points, it's an engaging read. It sucks you right in. I think I read it in two afternoons. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I would not be someone, you know, as relevant as it is to the current events, um, you know, I wouldn't go around saying this is an important book with a capital I. Right. I would say it is a relevant book with a capital R. And it's mm-hmm. for people, if you're not someone who's liable to pick up a nonfiction book or a self-help book or kind of a social studies book on, you know, racial justice and and privilege and all those things, this might be a much more approachable way yeah. to have the conversation. Um and kind of maybe think about it for yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent. But it was really enjoyable. Can't recommend it enough. One of one of the favorite one of my favorite books that I've read this year so far. Mine too. I, I in fact so. I recommended it at the Eastern Sierra Book Festival last week. Oh good. Um, and told people to come hear us talk about it on the podcast if they wanted to hear more. I really kind of wish it had been out much longer so we could talk about the ending because there is so yes. much to talk about. Um, I know. <laughs> but when we you know, when we do our, our you know, our greatest hits at the end of the year, we might have to come back. <laughs> we might have to come back just so that we, we can come back to this we can one. resolve it. So yeah, um, we can unpack it a little bit more. <laughs> 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 but it is a really, it is a, an engaging read. You know, this is a, a great first novel, and as often yes. happens in first novels, the author puts a little bit of herself in there. So we know um, that Kylie, she spent time as a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think you told me, say, she comes from a kind of a place of privilege. Privileged family, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe in Arizona, I think. 
I read she grew up in Arizona, but yeah, privileged family. So, you know, definitely has, you know, uh, ingrained part of her experiences in her young life. She's a very young woman. Yeah. Um, you know, into the story and just did so masterfully. She's it's great. And the, another thing about it that I enjoyed, which is typical of a lot of satirical novels, is that it's not there's not really one character that is the most sympathetic character. I think right. I'm I'm most empathetic towards Amira for a lot of logical reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has flaws. Um, yeah, and that that becomes apparent for sure. And read you know reading it from a perspective of of somebody who's over 50. (laughs) I mean, I think I would, you know, if, if I, if my daughter, Sarah, who's 22, if she was reading this, you know, she might approach the characters differently, but. Oh, entirely. um, Entirely. It would, they were still all very relatable. Yeah. 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 So I can't wait to see what Kylie Reed writes next. Next. Yes. (laughs) Me too. Kylie, we're big fans if you're out there. And listeners, if you haven't uh, picked up such such a fun age yet, please do so. Can't um, cannot recommend this one enough. And let us know uh, if you read it, what your thoughts are. We'd love to hear that. Absolutely. So take a deep breath and we'll be right back. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the C, the conversation portion of our podcast, which is, um, for me, one of the most enlightening and informative and and fun parts of, of what we do. We get to meet new people who contribute uniquely to the Eastern Sierra. And today, I'm super excited. We are super excited to, to welcome Jennifer Crittenden, who is an author, a mammoth resident, and founder of the Eastern Sierra Book Festival. Good Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Thank, thank you very much. So, um, yeah, Jennifer, I first met you last year when you were having the Eastern Sierra Book Festival, and you graciously invited me to help kick it off, which was a fun experience. Then you you made the mistake of inviting me again this year. <laughs> no, I, I learned a good lesson. <laughs> So I'm returning the favor or the the punishment, I should say. Um, <laughs> what I love about uh, writers and authors and publishers or anyone who's in this kind of industry is that we all have such a unique passion for it. I mean, that's part of why Stacy and I have a podcast is we just love talking about books and meeting people who love talking about books. So um, Jennifer, can you tell us, a, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what brought you to the Eastern Sierra Let's see. So the first time I laid eyes on Mammoth Lakes was in late 1992. Hard to believe it was that long ago. It doesn't (laughs) seem that long ago. Time flies. Yeah, right. My uh, brand new boyfriend took me up to Mammoth Lakes for that dreaded visit to go visit his parents for the first time. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was a beautiful drive up with his roommate, you know, up through Owens Valley, and we got a fairly late start because we left after work, and it was a beautiful full moon driving up through there, and I was just amazed, you know, just wide-eyed at the at the whole experience, the landscape and so forth. And then when I got there, I had never seen that much snow in my entire <laughs> life. And we had a good snow year that year, and the snow was piled so high along Majestic Pines where his parents' house was that I couldn't reach up higher than the pile of snow next to the roadway. Right. So the whole thing just seemed like just unbelievable, right? Like just having gone to a a very different, very special place. 
So yeah, it was a, it was a memorable trip for sure. And I just loved it. I had gone skiing a little bit before, but that was my first real introduction to skiing kind of day after day and exploring that whole huge mountain. Yeah. So I just loved it. I think I fell in love from, from that moment. Yeah. So then we visited a lot, you know, for skiing after that, his parents continued to have that house and sadly they eventually uh, passed away. And so we've been using that house ourselves uh, when we're Oh, that's terrific. You kind of describe what I think a lot of people have described, which is kind of that first impression of the Eastern Sierra and, and just how overpowering it can be. And then of course, yeah, there's in a good winter, there's so much snow here. It's almost unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think too, what's interesting about that landscape to me, and I often think about that is how unchanged it is. And so I often look at the big structures, you know, the big features, the big landscape features and think, I wonder what the Native Americans thought when they looked out at this really pretty similar landscape to to what I'm looking at now. And there's so few places in my experience that are like that. Like Southern California is so transformed. You know, that hill Mm -hmm. that's there, it might have only been there for you know, the past, whatever, 30 years, just because the whole area has been so transformed by heavy equipment. Right. So it's a different, yeah. you have a different connection, I think, to the landscape when, when it's like that, when it's so old. Are you a California native? I'm not. I'm from Southern Indiana, so you can imagine even more how blown away I was by <laughs> <Northern Valley. laughs> She's like you, Stace, a Midwestern. Yes, yeah, it's quite quite a different landscape from the flat Midwest to <laughs> the majesty of the Eastern Sierra Mountains, for for sure. Yeah, Southern Indiana is actually quite hilly because the glaciers didn't reach down there, and so it's more like Tennessee or West mm. Virginia. If you're more familiar with that, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, a different kind of landscape, but extremely green. Yes. And that's what's, you know, that's really the big difference with the desert landscapes is just, yeah, very weird plants <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have that same reaction, Jennifer. It's like I, I grew up here and so I always wanted to go live somewhere that was lush and green. And I did that for a few decades. And then now I appreciate it more coming back, just how weird these plants are and, <laughs> and how many shades of green can actually be lush, you know, it's... <laughs> It can be silvery, blue, all sorts of great things. Now, you're also a writer. So can you tell us, like, are, have you always been a writer? Um, what, what's your origin story there? Yeah, that's kind of funny. I've always been a big reader. So we grew up way out in the country without a television. So reading was a major pastime, major. And I spent a lot of time in the library and ended up working in the library. So it was around books a lot. I ended up getting my MBA in finance. And so during that business career, I was less involved with writing. You do some mm-hmm. in the business world, strategic right. plans and that kind of thing, but not the kind of creative writing that that people think of. And then after I stopped working full time, I started writing some kind of career-oriented advice books. Mm-hmm. And then I then we moved to Mammoth full time. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to work on another book. I was supposed to work on a book about sports idioms and how we mm-hmm. use those in the business world. And, sure. and someday I'll get back to that because I still think <laughs> that's a really interesting topic. But instead, I started just writing letters home about becoming part of the Mammoth Lakes community and learning so much about the Eastern Sierra, the history and geology and the bears. And and people love these letters, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. If you're living in Southern Indiana, uh, Southern California, and you start hearing these stories about, you know, the bear cub that walks into Vaughn's in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just those, or just like what the school was like. And, just very different from Southern California, very different culture, different mores. And I loved it. I mean, I just fell in love with the community and the people. And there's a lot of kind of hearkening back to 
pioneer ways, or I would even say sometimes Midwestern ways Mm -hmm. in in the Eastern Sierra, maybe especially in Bishop. And so then I just started writing more and more of those letters. And I still have a huge amount of material that didn't make (laughs) it into the first book. So maybe someday I'll, uh, I'll, work on those again. But that's really what happened was, you know how that happens. The Eastern Sierra sometimes just takes over and it did. <laughs> of course, because you can't escape it. It, it mm-hmm. just, You become transfixed the moment you open your front door or look out the window. So you compiled those into a book, right? Or many of them? Many of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was hard to choose what to include and it's still kind of a mishmash. Uh, but the book has actually found a pretty nice readership. In fact, I was amazed. I had a booth at the uh, Labor uh, Labor Day Arts Festival. The, right. Um, yeah. And I was really, I was really kind of surprised how many people came up to my booth and were like, "Oh, you're Jennifer Crittenden." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my head got so big that day that I could hardly walk around. <laughs> well, I imagine I imagine it's kind of a universal reaction for some people who move up here. You know, they dream of living up here and they get up here and then they're they're having similar experiences, right? They can relate. Yeah. They can relate. And you know, I think we don't always appreciate what a huge number of people there are in San Diego who regularly go up to Mammoth or Bishop or that area, and have an intense relationship with it. You know, I know Mm -hmm. we kind of talk about, oh, second homeowners. These guys are more than second homeowners. I mean, they really are invested in the area and care a lot. So we sometimes draw these distinctions between locals and non-locals, and I just think there's a big amount of people in between and those mm-hmm. are the people, you know, that really love to read. A lot of the locals, of course, read Mammoth Letters, but they have a different reaction to it. But people who live in Southern California but are devoted to the Eastern Sierra, those are the people that really love my book. That's kind of like your your scenario, right, Stace? You came up from San Diego. Yep, that's exactly, yeah, but it's been almost 20 years now. <laughs> so I, I've been I did, here full time. So I see. I, I didn't realize you were from San Diego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a logical appreciation there, I guess. I'm, I'm so ingrained in, in the Eastern Sierra now. It feels like I never lived anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It feels like a different world, doesn't it? it? And yeah. It feels, it, and yeah. it doesn't take long to be, you know, embraced into the the fabric of this community and that's i think one of the the real the real special things about it but but jennifer you've written another book is you've published another book as well besides the letters oh yes that was the more recent one working dogs of the eastern sierra which was the funnest book project ever and you know mammoth is so devoted to its dogs yes. and, and so <laughs> and i will just say it is a really nice thing about moving to mammoth is it is easy to become part of the community i found it a very welcoming uh, community mm-hmm. very friendly very yeah. interested in us but as part of that you do become involved with the dogs and i started thinking about how dogs up there have such unusual jo- jobs you know we've got mm-hmm. the avalanche dogs and then you've got cattle dogs and yeah. therapy dogs and agility dogs so i started collecting dogs uh, for that book. And it was, it was just really fun to meet all the dogs and honor uh, some of the really important dogs we've had in our community. That was one of my favorite parts of last year's book festival, which we could hold in person. Um, but you, you kind of launched, I guess, launched the book there and you brought many of the dogs together at the festival. Yes, it was it was a dog zoo. It was a, it was a lot of fun to have all those dogs there. Yeah, and super fun for them to all meet each other. You yeah. know, they'd yeah. seen the photos and stuff in the books, but it, but yeah, it was really fun. It was oh, that's that's not unusual here to have in any given area a bunch of dogs gathering. It's, it's, part it's of true the culture here. Yeah, it for is. sure. No, a lot of them knew each other's dogs. And yeah, it was a big dog party. So it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
No, it's a great place for dog lovers to live. I know we certainly appreciate it because it, it is so dog friendly and there's so many outdoor places you can take your dogs and there's, there's poop bags everywhere. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's a responsible community. But I do remember that uh, pretty vividly from last year going to this, you know, to meet many of the dogs and how impressive it was. And there, you know, there are rescue dogs there and, you know, um, other kinds of dogs. And it was really kind of inspiring as well. I kind of looked at my terrier afterwards and said, well, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference between a working dog and a pet. Yeah, <laughs> But I think that's one that one thing that Lynn Almeida, if I'm pronouncing her name right, mm-hmm. the owner of Soulbinders, you know, she leads those agility dog groups. Yep. And that's one thing that she would remind me is that, you know, dogs have a lot of potential. And mm-hmm. so it's possible that your pet would like to do something, you know, learn a trick or learn to help you out in some way. So it was very <laughs> eye-opening. I learned a lot from uh, from writing that book. <laughs> Do you think you could, Stace, do you think you could turn your recently adopted Lola into a, into a service dog? You know, we, we have, we have often said that she likes to sniff things so much Mm. that she would be a good, like, um, recovery dog, you know, like a searching dog. So (laughs) Uh we, we have talked about, well, maybe she's got that potential, but Right now, she's still too much of a puppy to, you know, she's, (laughs) yeah, there's a lot they have to learn. Yeah, she takes Uh enough of our time right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh without adding a job to it, but maybe we'll see. Jennifer, are you working on anything right now? Are you, does any, any new book in the works? Uh, well, let's see. I'm, uh, you know, we just finished the book festival. So that was a big focus for a while. My latest endeavor instead of writing has been to do a podcast. So I started oh. a podcast about a year and a half ago. Yay. And it's about, <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I've really enjoyed it. It's been such a, such an interesting experience. And so that podcast is mostly about work and working, but I do interview a lot of authors on that mm-hmm. podcast and so mm-hmm. end up talking about books quite a bit. And then once the pandemic uh, came into our lives, I started doing Literary Sunday podcasts. Mm-hmm. And in that one, I just um, talk about a particular book that usually is plague or uh, pandemic or something, you know, disease or virus. or So I've done a bunch of science fiction books um, mm. But also books like The Stand or Catherine Ann Porter's Pale Horse, Pale Rider. Right. So doing a lot of reading, actually, and uh, more just journaling, nothing, no specific project so far on the writing side. Uh, but definitely thinking a lot about writing and reading and and what that connection is between writers and readers. And what's the name of your podcast? It's called The Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. All right, we'll we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, especially those Sunday episodes. People might be interested in those because some usually the books are quite long that I cover in that one. And so I always like to dream of somebody who thinks, oh, you know, I would have liked to have read that book, but it's awfully long. So now you can just listen to my podcast. <laughs> so, so Jennifer, you 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 don't shy away from projects. Can you talk a little bit about the Eastern Sierra Book Festival and how that came about and and where you see it going? Yeah, I'd love to actually. I so I had written the Mammoth Letters so whenever this was uh, several years back and I had made a large contribution to the Southern Mono Historical Society because mm-hmm. they were very helpful to me in writing that book and did fact checking for me and just were generally right. supportive mm-hmm. and so as part of that contribution I had rights to have an event there at the Hayden Cabin you know the okay. beautiful location right. next to Mammoth Creek and I thought okay I'll do my book launch there, right? Mm -hmm. But as I started thinking about and planning that event, it all seemed kind of dismal. I mean, you know how tough it is to have people come to a book launch or a book signing. And it was like, who is going to come? You know, just Mm -hmm. my friends and a few girlfriends. That's not what I want. And so I I approached Robert Yoki, 
who's the president of the historical society and say, Hey, what would you think about having kind of a big book event? Like, let's just have everybody bring their books. Right. You know, why should it just be about the mammoth letters? Let's just have like all the local authors bring their books. And he was game. He's such a, you know, and one of these people is like, yeah, you bring him an idea and, and uh, he'll put his might behind it. So that was the reason that we had the first one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you weren't there for that one, but it was fairly informal. I was pleased with the number of people who came. I think we probably had about 60 people who came. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was just fun under the tent, uh, casual, uh, just a, you know, joyful time uh, with books. And then after that, I said, okay, do you want to do this again? And, and, and he said, yeah. So, this, the, you know, the second year was quite different because we had all the dogs and it was much bigger, right? We probably had over 120 people who came. Mm-hmm. So word was starting to spread. Uh, and then we intended to be bigger and better for the third year. And uh, coronavirus had a different idea for us. <laughs> but the but the virtual event, I thought, turned out quite well, particularly in terms of drawing people, sure. particularly that Facebook streaming event apparently drew like over 300 views. Wow. So, yeah, I was surprised about that. So, you know, we always learn, right, when yeah. there are different things that are thrown our way. We always learn. So that could be, you know, a component for festivals going forward is to try and have a virtual component to it. Yeah. What I love about it is it gives an opportunity to shine a spotlight on the creativity and the authorship resident in the Eastern Sierra. You know, so many people come here for recreation or what have you and and may not understand just how many great writers um, there are who live in the area and contribute. You, yourself, um, Kendra Atley Work, David and Janet Carl. There, you know, the the list goes on. Um, and it's just a, it's kind of like this podcast. What Stacy and I do, we kind of it, it's an opportunity to surface an understanding about this rural corner of California that many people may not realize is there. Yes, I agree. I definitely discovered not only some very talented writers, but some actually fairly famous writers who live yes. right there in our midst. Who knew that they were there? But, you know, Anne Gimple, for example, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. is widely known and people yep. hardly even know about her locally. But yeah, she's a big time author. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Jennifer, now we've talked a lot about what your passions are with writing and what have you. Can you tell us what you guys like to do in the Eastern Sierra? What do you do what, when you're leaving the how house? How do you play? How do you play? Yeah, how do you play? That's what we always want to talk about. So skiing, of course, has been a big a piece of it. We've... Um, gotten more accustomed to cross-country skiing uh, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. since we've been up there. The big thing for me that I discovered, uh, and this happened, of course, my husband says it's just so I could fit in with the locals, but I did tear my ACL after I had done oh. it. Of course, of course I had to do that. <laughs> so after I tore my ACL, that did... Uh, kind of hamper my skiing opportunities uh, there for a while. And so instead, what I started doing in order to stay fit and be out there was to snowshoe. Mm. And I just fell in love with snowshoeing. So that's that's my favorite. That's one one thing I really love. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, just hiking and all that. Do you have a favorite snowshoe location? I love to snowshoe up to Minaret Vista. And mm. not everybody realizes that you can skirt the ski resort. You're allowed mm-hmm. to go up on the edge of it and then go up mm-hmm. to uh, Minaret Vista. It's not that far, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm always so surprised that I don't just see hordes of people. Almost every time I go, I'll, yeah, I'll just see like one person, maybe sometimes two people, and I think, wow, do people not realize that you can come up here and how easy it is and how spectacular it is once you get to the top? But yeah, oh, I think yeah. it's kind of unknown. I think yeah, it is. I think you're right. And that really is one of the most amazing vistas looking west down off of Mammoth and the minarets and what have you towards, you know, the, the birth of the San Joaquin River and, you know, just all the amazing peaks that, that face off that. It's gorgeous. 
Yeah, geologically, it's an interesting place because of the watershed there. So, yeah, it's it's worth a trip up there if uh, anyone's listening who has some snowshoes. Stacey, <laughs> maybe we should add that to our adventure I list. I think we need to. And, they, and I think I need to take you up and do it on a full moon. Oh, that would be gorgeous. Because that's mm-hmm. super fun and unique. And, yeah, people definitely don't go up there very much in, at night. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, but Jennifer, something we all we ask all of our guests um, when they're gracious like you are enough to come talk with us is, what are you reading now? I'm going to have to give another uh, mention here for Kendra Atley Works' book, The uh, Miracle Country. She came to the book festival the very first year and was on a panel about memoir. And I think all of us, those of us who weren't already familiar with her knew that we had a real writer amongst us. And sure enough, her first book, her memoir has proven to be a hell of a book. So I'm in the middle of that, loving every minute. Yeah. I know uh, Christopher talked about it also on the Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the book festival this year. But that one's, I, yeah, I just have to mention it again because it's so good. Great. Yeah, we're, we had Kendra on a couple episodes ago. And yeah, her book is excellent. And she's going to be a star. Yeah, I think that book will, will be very important. And I'm, I'm really happy about it because of the way it presents the Eastern Sierra, I think is very authentic Mm-hmm. and not romanticized and yeah just really just really excellent work i what i love about that book and i can't say enough about it so i'm trying not to chime in too much like i just i can't pass up the opportunity <laughs> to mention it again although i'm sure your listeners are like yeah yeah we've heard it before <laughs> no you know it was one of those books where i read i recommended it to quite a few of my east coast friends because when i left when when my husband and I left New York City a year and a half ago to come back here. A lot of people really raise their eyebrows and they're like, well, why would you go there? And I was like, well, here, here's a book you can read that really explains just what an amazing corner of the world this is. So I, I fully agree with you. I think Kendra's book is, is amazing and it's really going to live, live the last, the, stand the test of time, I should yeah. say. Definitely. A couple more that I might mention, uh, just they might be of interest to your listeners as I'm thinking about this. So T. Jefferson Parker writes a lot of police procedurals. He's actually super famous and yep. headlined our afternoon for the book festival. But he's written a book that's set in Mammoth Lakes called Crazy Blood. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun mm-hmm. read uh, for people. You know, you can, as the story is unfolding, it's a story of rivalry between two half-brothers who do get out on the ski cross uh, uh, ah. events. Uh, but it's just fun to listen to it and kind of figure out like where they're driving as he, get, as he mentions landmarks along the way. And so, yeah, that's, that's quite fun for local people. Another one that I've really enjoyed as part of the book festival was the silver rush mysteries by Ann mm-hmm. Parker. She also was in the uh, book festival on Sunday, uh, but again, fun reads, you know, just Western theme and I, just a little different, you know. They all have a slightly different twist that makes that makes them interesting and unusual. And they were both great presentations. Were, yes, Jeff Parker. I got such a thrill when he held up his working notes about how he works on a whodunit and how he keeps a calendar, yeah. and just his descriptions of the mechanics of writing. You know, what's he written? 20 some books now. Mm-hmm. He's a three time Edgar Award winner, which is wow. unbelievable. Yeah. And for him to, sh- you know, to allow us to see like that, this is how a writer works. I just got a shiver up my back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to see who you have on next year's book festival. Yeah, is, well, word keeps spreading, so yeah. So <laughs> who knows? Is the was the book festival for this year? Since it was online, is it archived in any fashion that people who didn't get to participate on Sunday could go back and check it out? Yeah, that's a good question. 
Right now, Facebook has that stream archived. I don't know all that much about Facebook, so I don't know if they keep that forever. And, you know, pity on your poor listeners if they want to go check out something that's six six hours long or whatever it is. <laughs> but I will also be breaking up the sessions into little mini um, uh units, so to speak. Okay. And then we can use those for educational and promotional purposes. Awesome. So, th- so it'll be around on social media, uh, Facebook, but also through the Eastern Sierra Book Festival website. That's probably okay. the easiest place Great. for people to find those. Yeah. And it looked like I took a quick look at Christopher's session and looks like it recorded well. And I didn't forget to start the recording at the beginning. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have the whole thing there. So yeah, it, that, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, we'll include links to the festival um, and the books that you've mentioned and your podcast in our show notes for our listeners. And we just want to say thank you again for taking time to talk with us today. It's been great having you on our podcast and right. we hope you'll, you'll come back and visit with us again. Thank you so much. And Stacey, if I could just keep you for one more second mm-hmm. here. The reason that we moved to Mammoth Lakes in 2014 was so that my son could go to middle school there. And that was a fantastic experience for him. So if there are listeners out there who have been toying with the idea of going up to Mammoth or the Eastern Sierra to give their kids a different educational experience, I would recommend that. Well, I always appreciate a plug of our school. <laughs> you didn't very, even pay for that. <laughs> very proud of that. And no, I, listeners, I did not, I didn't work that no. out with Jennifer beforehand. <laughs> no, really no, it was really great. Annie Rinaldi was the principal at that time for those two years that he was there. And he just had some fantastic teachers. It was a wonderful experience. That's really terrific. good school. Thank you for sharing that. I, I greatly yeah, sorry. appreciate it. Yeah, sorry. I wanted to sneak that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. And thank you again for, for your time and the great interview today. We really enjoyed talking with you. And yeah. Please, yeah, thank, please come thank back you very again. Much. Yeah, great. no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. We know... We hope you know that you can find us on Instagram at O2Starved. You can find us on our website, OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Please uh, send us some comments. Let us know what you're thinking, uh, your thoughts about the books that we're sharing. We greatly appreciate you listening every uh, to every episode and hope you'll join us again soon. In yeah. the meantime, stay safe and take care. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.